During these difficult times, some have found it hard to maintain a level of normality with major changes and shifts in both our personal and professional lives. The pandemic has seen swathes of people having to work from home, more furloughed and even more laid off in recent weeks. There isn't yet an end in sight to defeating COVID-19, but there has been a massive jump in those taking to their computers and consoles as a break from the new and monotonous normal that we seem to find ourselves in. This isn't just true for adults, but it's also been true for children across the world, and there's been some concern with the amount of time being spent on screen and negative impacts it may have. In September 2018, the World Health Organization, the WHO, announced that it classified the gaming disorder as a legitimate issue, falling short of calling it a full-on addiction. It highlighted its findings after much global research and concluded that the disorder was a risk, but only to a proportionally small number of gamers. It advised, Those who partake in gaming should be alert to the amount of time they spend on gaming activities, particularly when it is the exclusion of other daily activities as well as to any changes in their physical or psychological health and social functioning that could be attributed to their pattern of gaming behaviour. Suffice to say that this was met with great resentment by the gaming community and maybe have been equally misinterpreted. The contradiction, it seemed, came when the COVID-19 hit peak and most of the world went into lockdown. In what seemed like a complete U-turn, the Who teamed up with the big boys of gaming, including and not exclusively Activision Blizzard, Riot Games and others, to promote a campaign to hashtag play a part together, singing the praises of games and accepting their ability to bring people together. We reached out to The Who and asked why it had made this decision. Although we weren't able to talk to anyone, The Who did respond in email. And when asked why there was a change of heart and whether it would look at maybe reclassifying as a result, it said, Whose position on gaming has not changed? The organisation recognises that millions of people enjoy playing video games as a leisure activity. However, it also recognises gaming disorder as a clinically recognisable syndrome, that affects a small proportion of players. The COVID-19 pandemic is currently the most urgent public health issue in the world. In order to slow the spread of the virus, it is important to adopt the key public health measures outlined by the World Health Organization, including physical distancing, hand hygiene, respiratory etiquette, and staying at home when asked to do so by our national authorities who is using all available channels to get its life-saving COVID-19 public health messages to communities around the world. So, that was the statement from the World Health Organization. It also stated that the initiative was an industry one on which the WHO had jumped on board with, but was quick to state that the organization was not a partner, nor was it endorsing any of the gaming companies. So, for clarification, we turn to Dr. Douglas Gentile, who's Professor of Development Psychology at Iowa State University and has over 30 years of research experience in the media. He's also the author of Media Violence in Children. He's the co-author of the book Violent Video Game Effects on Children and Adolescents. And he's also authored over 100 peer-reviewed scientific journal articles, including studies on the positive and negative effects of video games on children in several countries, the validity of the American media ratings, how screen time contributes to youth obesity, and what is being called video game and internet addiction.
Asking whether or not there was such thing as addiction to gaming, Gentile refers back to some of his early studies, 1999, which look particularly closely at the addiction element. He says that for an addiction to exist, it has to qualify itself by hitting a number of points. Dr. Douglas Gentile. Addiction means you know, does not mean doing something a lot. It means doing something in such a way that it damages other areas of your life. It has to be dysfunctional and not just to one area of your life. It has to be dysfunctional to multiple areas of your life, your social functioning, your family functioning, your occupational functioning, your educational functioning, your psychological functioning, your emotional functioning. It has to be damaging many of those at once to before anything gets called an addiction, at least in clinical you know, language. The more Gentile studied the matter, the more he realized that there was a small group of gamers that were in fact reaching that level of dysfunction, which he estimates at being anywhere between 1 and 10% of gamers globally. And it's a different beast to substance addiction. I'm not sure that this is the same as a substance where if you just go cold turkey and never have it again, that's, that's usually best, actually, <laughs> I think, for, for many substances. Because I don't think it's realistic in this case. You know, games and computer interfaces are such a part of our everyday culture. You're probably carrying a game machine in your pocket right now. Uh, I think what we need to do is, is keep it in balance because most of those kids are able to. So is it a real thing? You know, 20 years of research has convinced me it really is a real thing. It's a, it's a small percentage of people that have a problem, but that... You know, that doesn't mean it isn't a real problem. You know, it's a small percentage of people who have, you know, who get clinical depression or have clinical level anxiety. And yet, you know, those people need treatment. 20 years of research within games has shown Gentile that addiction is a real thing. More importantly, however, the way in which the WHO has classified gaming as a disorder is an important distinction to be made from addiction. But Gentile also states that the research, in his opinion, between film, TV and games is not dissimilar with their psychological impact. We expected video games to have a bigger effect than, say, film or television because you're an active participant rather than a passive viewer. You get actively rewarded for doing things. You're forced to take the viewpoint of, if, say, you're playing a violent game, of the person enacting violent acts. Whereas if you watch a violent movie, you might identify with the victim, in which case your risk of aggression goes down. Uh, so there were all these theoretical reasons we expected to see video game effects being larger than other media. And I don't see it. Uh, it, it. Maybe it's a little bit bigger, but it's within the margin of error. So I think that it really is about the same uh, as those effects, in which case it's not really different from other media. Uh, or not in some truly important way that changes it, the psychological level effects. On the contrary, in fact, video games have been shown to improve basic mental abilities such as visual processes, reaction times, high attention spans and decision making. But there is a warning here and Gentile refers back to an earlier study. Prior to the WHO making their decision to include a gaming disorder, the American Psychiatric Association, who uh, do the, what's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, which is the American equivalent of WHO's ICD. Uh, it's how we diagnose mental health disorders in the U.S. is usually by the DSM, whereas in Europe, usually it's by the ICD. Uh, they included Internet Gaming Disorder back in 2013. And I spoke to the people on that committee. 
And they said they were tasked with looking at all behavioral addictions other than gambling, because we already knew gambling could be a serious problem for some people. What they found was interesting. And looking at the research literature on everything from sex to food, internet to television, the only medium that could lead to addiction out of all the categories they studied within the media sphere was in fact gaming. Gentile states that only gaming creates an unacceptable level of dysfunction. There are some people that really retreat so far into the games that it, you know they start losing their relationships. They give up all their friends except for the ones who game. They start failing out of school. We see that a lot here at my university, especially the first year freshman boys. Uh, and the problem is they don't see you know, they don't understand what's the cause here. They see the game as the solution. It's, you know, they're not doing so well in their classes, so they stay up all night gaming as a way of coping. So what about kids? For those of us with children, and also for those of us that play regularly anyway, gaming and social gaming has been a lifesaver during the current pandemic. But are we relying too heavily on games? And should our children be playing games for longer? Dr. Gentile. There, there are at least five dimensions on which games have effects. Uh, there's the amount you play, and that seems to be related to things like school performance, uh, to uh, physical health issues like risk of obesity and things like that, and also seems to be one of the risk factors for uh, whether you're more likely to become addicted at some point. There's the content, which most of the research has been on, say violent content and pro-social content and things like that. There's also the, the context that if you play with other people, let's say you're playing a violent game and you're playing it with a bunch of your friends, that could actually enhance the aggression effect because you're getting social support from your friends for behaving aggressively, or it could totally mitigate the effect because you go with a pro-social motive to help your team. And that actually you know, eliminates the aggression Effect. The fourth is the uh, how it's structured on the screen. Uh, the easiest way to explain this is to give you kind of a TV example. If you see a man and a woman go into a bedroom, close the door, and it fades to black, we take away a very specific meaning of what happened behind that door. But if you see the same man and woman go into the same room, close the door, and it cuts to another scene, we don't take away the same meaning. A fade edit or a cut edit totally changes the psychological impact. So how it's structured on the screen can actually change the psychological impact. And so in a game, one of the things you mentioned is kind of this uh, reflexes that when you're practicing being hyper alert and vigilant for something to jump out, you learn scanning behaviors very similar to what, say, an air traffic controller needs. <laughs> um, and then the fifth effect is uh, the mechanics, you actually learn how to use the mechanical input-output devices, and that link between the structure on the screen and the input-output is what we talk about as hand-eye coordination. Those two are linked together. So depending on which effects you care about and what type of games you're playing, games can be good or bad, but they're usually both at the same time. So it's very, very difficult to categorically claim that games can be either good or bad. So are games good or bad? Well, uh, let's say your kid is playing a lot of Grand Theft Auto. The lot of time probably means poor school performance. Uh, the fact that it's a violent game means increased aggressive thoughts and feelings and perhaps at some point in the future behaviors. 
uh, because it's both a driving game and a shooting game that should improve your 2D to 3D transfer skills. It should improve your targeting skills. Uh, if you're playing online with friends, that might enhance or mitigate some of the other effects. And if you're playing on a mouse and keyboard, your mouse and keyboard skills will get better. So is it good or bad? It's both. You know, when, when scientists talk about games causing aggression, what we mean is shifts the odds in a reliable way. It doesn't actually mean makes them go out and shoot someone. So how then can parents be more involved and how can parents be assured that they're minimizing the negative impact of gaming? Simply put, it's not so much about the time spent gaming, especially when it comes to children, but the rather the way in which they play the game and how they're monitored. Dr. Gentile says that there are four main ways that parents can monitor their children. One is co-viewing or co-playing. Uh, the second is setting limits on amount of time. The third is setting limits on the type of content. And the fourth is what is known in the literature as active mediation, where you sit and you discuss the themes, whose point of view is being seen, whose isn't, why is it designed this way, what effect does, does this have on the viewer, etc. Gentile acknowledges that it's hard for some parents to sit and watch their child playing a game, but notes the importance of the mediation technique. Three of these are fantastic and one's actually damaging. If you co-view or co-play and don't talk about it, it enhances the negative effects of the media. If you sit and you play with them and talk about it and have this discussion, it mitigates almost all of the negative effects. Let me say that again. If you sit and you play with your kid and you discuss the content with them, it mitigates almost all of the negative effects and it also enhances the positive effects. But most parents don't do this. They sit and they play or they sit and watch with the kid and, uh, and that is giving silent approval to whatever is being seen. So what matters is having this discussion and the problem is parents haven't been trained how to have that discussion. They usually do it through statements like, I don't like that. That's really low quality mediation. High quality active mediation is done with uh, questions, you know, so in this show, this person shot this person for this plot reason, but in real world, have you ever seen anything like that at school? How did people really handle this situation? What would be the best way to handle a situation like this? But by encouraging critical reasoning allows the children to put up a buffer between the game and reality and is less likely to foster difficult and different behavior. <laughs> This program was presented by Tamaras Fahani and produced by Magduce Media Limited for Checkpoint Magazine. The track is called Special Days by JGen and is available on Audio Library Release. Music is provided by Audio Library Plus.